Welcome to the Burning Eye podcast. I'm Jen Hart. Today is May the 5th. So if you're like me and you support the dark side of the force, then may the 5th be with you. Um, um, I'm going to be talking to Tina Sederholm today about the release of her new book, Everything Wrong With You Is Beautiful. Um, but first, just have a couple of little announcements. Firstly, we've been getting some emails from people um, about submissions. We are looking through submissions now. Um, please be patient. Um, we've got a lot to get through and it's it's pretty tough this year, I'm not going to lie. Um, so please bear with us, um, but we will get back to you as soon as we can. We're currently on day two of the £1 book day um, book sale that we've got going on. Um, so today's book is Robert Garnham's Nice. Um, it's £1 uh, for 24 hours or until our office stocks last. Um, we sold out of Rob's um, before midday yesterday, so make sure that you get your order in quickly. Um, we've got um, Keith's book, Sealer, coming out shortly. Um, there's been some delays on this. I know it's supposed to come out in April, but it will be with us shortly. Um, and then later this month, we've got the uh, brilliant uh, Bristol, originally from Bristol-based, now she lives in London, uh, book by Shagufta uh, Iqbal, um, Jam is for Girls. Girls get jam. I'm now speaking to Tina Cedarholm. Hello, Tina. Hello, Jen. Hello. It's great to have you on the podcast. It is. Um, so for those of you listening at home, um, Tina released her book, Everything Wrong With You Is Beautiful, um, on May the 1st. Um, so it's been out for a few days now. Uh, how does it feel to, to have a Burning Eye book, Tina? It's, it's really exciting. I was so chuffed when um, Burning Eye got in touch with me and said, you know, would you put a proposal in? And I was like, oh my goodness, you know, that's uh, definitely, if it was my top three publishers, list of top three publishers burning eye would have been on it so and now it's actually arrived and i've done a little video um you know my husband did a, uh, me opening the box and uh, you know just seeing it and holding it in my hands after all these sort of months of creation was just a lovely lovely moment so yeah that's good so yeah just see what, what it can do in the world now yeah yeah we had um when when Pete the Temp released his book last year he did like a, a video of him opening up the box and it was uh I totally stole that. Yeah, yeah. No, I did too. I did too. I thought it was great. And I was like, I'm going to steal that from you, Pete. And uh, yeah, no, I think it's great. And I love the fact that, you know, Burning Eye, you know, mostly the way that Burning Eye runs is entirely through the digital world. Um, And we're always finding new ways to um, promote our poets and things like that. So things like videos and podcasts and things like that are um, making waves for poets, especially performance poets at the moment. Um, so I'm really glad that we're living in this age and we can uh, interact in that way and it's really nice and it's also nice to share that moment of oh my god I've got a book yeah yeah <laughs> I still, it still feels a little bit surreal I think because of all the creation and planning and mm. you know even last minute oh we're going to change that typeface and that kind of thing mm. I'm still I'm still it's like I keep having to go yes yes we've done it now it's here now it's not <laughs> <laughs> in about a month's time I'll go oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, you have to take it all in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, I, I, the first thing I wanted to ask you really was where you got the the idea for the title. Mm. Well, <laughs> that's a 
question because I went through about 15 titles, probably more actually, um, because the whole nature of the book changed from the original idea quite a lot. And actually, I got the idea, I was trying to write out some, um, some blurb for it, and, you know, and I came up with this line about celebrating, you know, it, it is all about celebrating mistakes and blunders and losses and how I definitely have this um, worldview or, you know, something that seems to be written in me is that I have to be a success and I have to achieve everything if people are going to like me. And then what I found is actually when I fall on my face, and when things go wrong and those vulnerabilities, those, those are the parts where I'm actually much more me than when I'm, you know, like you don't really get it when you're being a, when you sort of do something really successful. It's like you think, oh, now I've arrived, but but maybe your real self isn't there. So this is a very long answer to your question. <laughs> no, I fine. basically just, I had all this kind of themes and I was writing them down, writing them down. And I wrote something about the celebration of everything you know, what if everything you've done wrong is actually beautiful? And my husband went, oh, if you turn that round, it's a title. Because <laughs> <laughs> so I've been sort of like, I'm, yeah, and then and, and then I'd written it by mistake. And it took somebody else, of course, to point it out. Yeah. So that's basically it. And then it's just that moment with titles I found, because having done a, a few shows and things like that, there's this kind of click inside where you go, oh, yeah, that's it. Mm. I, I quite often don't start with the title of my shows or my poems. They, they kind of come at the end, mm. you know, when I finally figured out what it was I was trying to express. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's what happened with this one because it was, it's, it was quite um, amorphous and sort of jelly-like and, it, you know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't go in the box of success that I wanted it to. <laughs> Yeah, that's nice. I like that. That's that's really good. I was a bit the same with with my book. I didn't really know what to call it. I had like a long list of things, um, and then I watched Thelma and Louise and was like, "That's that's it. That's the title. That's it." Um, sort of, it found me, and I think that's that's something really lovely. And I always like to ask people how they got their titles for their books because um, it's always an interesting story, and I really like yeah. it. <laughs> I have this I have this theory that you know books spend more time on a shelf than people reading them mm-hmm. so a good a, a title that if somebody's eye catches it as they're going past it makes them go oh, or, the, or think of it then the book's doing its job even when it's not being read um so that's kind of I, I do I do like to rock a good title mm. yeah I like that so this is um your third collection I, I've had two pamphlets I think this is because they were like 20 poems each. So I think this is a proper... Yeah, uh, proper, proper book. Yeah. Yes. I think that's, what, that's how we do it in the poetry world, isn't it? That's how we define things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You have a baby's first book and then you release the... The, <laughs> the full-blown... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So no. I've had two pamphlets up before with Allegraphic and yeah. then there's this one. How did, um, how did the process compare of... of putting pamphlets together and and obviously the the full collection because the full collection is has um you know headings in it which is you know um quite common for some of our books um especially when you've got a lot of work there that you're kind of putting down and it's good to kind of put it in some headings so I just just wanted to know how how the process differed for you coming in to do a full collection 
Mm. I think the the pamphlets were based around the first couple of shows that I did. Mm. Um, so then it was quite easy because it was a very simple theme. Like it either works with the theme or it doesn't. Um, this collection, I wanted to like pull in all the strands of what I did, and so I had to keep asking myself, what what am I about? What is this about? Who you know? What's um, what's interesting here, and what's just I like this poem, but it tickles me, and possibly nobody else you know, <laughs> had to go. Um, so I'd really like to give you some brilliantly professional answer to that question. But the main que- the main thing I'd say is I made it up as I was going along, mm. um, and and it is again a bit like the title. It's a sort of sense of sitting ideas next to each other and and then saying, is that me trying to impress someone? Because that's what I was trying to do. <laughs> Oh, is that authentically working? You know, the, the, mm. that's my kind of that's my kind of raggedy raggedy process. And I probably wrote, I think I wrote about another forty or fifty poems. Yeah, that made it. And wow. either they just, you know, you know how a poem can go. Oh, well, I'm going to sit in a drawer for a year. Yeah, you haven't really got me, have you? You know, like put it away. So there was a lot of things I wanted to put in there, and then I went. It's not ready. I really wanted this to be as polished and see, bloody perfectionist turning up again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it didn't be sort of kind of tight and congruent um, with the various ideas that I pulled in, and and all of those ideas, like I, the headings you were talking about, I've got um, reluctant feminist mm. uh, brought to my knees. Um, there's some cheery bits, folks. Don't worry. Cheery <laughs> bits as well. Love and other misunderstandings, and I'm trying to all the time say, "Oh, here was my assumption, but that wasn't quite right, was it?" And this is what really happened. Mm. So, yeah, yeah. I can't remember what your question was now. <laughs> oh, just just how it differs from from the process of of putting a pamphlet together to to getting a full full collection, you know, and that kind of yeah. because I've just obviously released a pamphlet, and for me that was fairly easy to do um I think because I had a lot of um uh, older stuff that I was still kind of using and I'm still going back to so it's just a case of editing those bits for page um and kind of writing some new stuff for it um but obviously working at Burning Eye I you see the flip side of it and I you know putting you know 50 plus page collections together and um I'm definitely not in that position to to do that yet though I do have like a, a lot of back work so I can imagine that process, like you were saying about having, you know, what poems do I, do I not put in there, you know, being kind of sort of tunnel vision with it, I guess, and, and kind of thinking really about, you know, what the, what the collection is that you want it to be and not trying to go off course with it. With a pamphlet, it's a little bit easier for you to kind of be a bit more diverse with it, I, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And it's easy to, um, I didn't want it to just be like, Tina's greatest hits, as it were, you know, just like a whole bunch of poems in a book yeah. and a collection. I wanted there to be something cohesive running underneath it, uh, you know, um, a cohesive question and arc and that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, nice. which is which is <laughs> which is harder. So, but but just so the whole thing look like the whole thing is hopefully a piece of art. The whole arc of it, you know, so much effort from you and Clive and and my husband as well it's, it's gone into sort of designing the cover and thinking about the positioning and all that kind of thing so it's got to stand as a whole mm. you know? 
Yeah, and that's something that I don't think anyone really ever thinks about when they think about put like putting a book out. You know, like what what size font are you going to use for the headings and, um, you know, sort of the cover and what do you want to say and like you know it's it's a difficult process especially if you're not used to branding yourself. Yeah. Um, because essentially you're you know this this you know you're branding yourself in a book. That's that's what you're doing, and you have to kind of think inwardly a lot. I think. Yes. Yes. Far too much. Yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't be encouraged in that. <laughs> Who so, am I? What am I doing here? <laughs> so uh, I have to ask the the dedication in the book. Um, oh, I don't have a copy in front of me, but I wanted to know if it was um, uh, a nod to um, the the Rowdy anthology that you were a contributor for. Mm, for all the, the dedication is for all the beautiful Rowdy prisoners. Well, this is um, a group of women I've been a member of for about five years, and it's called the Rowdy Forum. It's run by a woman called Meadow DeVore, and we do a lot of um, kind of spiritual and personal, I hate the word personal development, it's <laughs> more than that. Yeah, it's very difficult to define this group of women, um, which is good. Women should never be defined. Uh, but... But basically, uh, we kind of call each other on our bullshit and support each other in what we're doing. And I, I it's, it's been a, quite a journey for me because I'm not a person, even though I'm a woman, who naturally liked women very much as I was, you know, when I was younger. Mm. It's taken a lot to be vulnerable and intimate with, with my peers. And this is a group of women that I can do that for. And anyway, the, the, the term rowdy, and Rowdy Prisoners comes from a Hafez poem. Um, can I remember the whole poem? <laughs> the small man builds cages for everyone he knows, while the sage who has to duck his head when the moon is low keeps dropping keys all night long for the beautiful Rowdy Prisoners. Nice. And who was that by, sorry? Sir Hafez, sort of an ancient Persian poet. Okay. He's like Rumi. Oh, do you know what? I think I have heard of him. I was listening to one of those um, BBC Radio 4 history lectures yeah. things. So we'll be on that. Yeah. So it's about H-A-F-I-Z. Okay. And so that poem is, is, is kind of like our, our mantra thing that, that uh, in helping each other and teaching other, we're not saying this is how you do it, just keep dropping keys and then it's kind of up to you whether you pick up the key to unlock okay. yourself from the cage you're stuck in. Okay. So, yeah, so so it's not, um, so we call ourselves Rowdies, the Rowdy Forum, because also that sort of sense of daring and pushing it out there is, is in there too. So yeah, that's the dedication. Nice. I like that. I think that's really nice. I think, you know, I have a very soft spot for the power of female relationships. Mm. And I think today, especially, well, not this particular day, but today and in current events, I think having those kind of support networks is, is really important. Mm. Um, you know, for, for women, of you know, of all backgrounds and all ages, I think it's, um, I think there's really something to be said about female relationships and being able to support each other in that way because you know so often women are taught that you know, their support networks are husbands or boyfriends or some kind of male capacity um and we we you know find ourselves distance a lot from other women especially as we get older i guess you know i'm finding it 
you know, creeping into my 30s, like a lot of the friends that I had in my 20s aren't really my friends anymore. And I struggle to find support networks from other places. Um, and so that sounds like a, a great group you've got there. Yeah, it's, it's really, really lovely. Um, I mean, it's based on the internet, so it's women from all over the world as well. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I agree with you. That, and I, I think it's a sort of, it's a sort of prevalent thing we need to learn in our society is the ability to work together because, you know, and, and I think that's what women always have to do. They almost have to lose themselves and try, well, this is what I did, pretend, like, took on very masculine qualities, or I can, I can clean, I can, uh, like, I am tough as anything. Mm. And then there comes a point where that all breaks down and I had to learn to re-embrace feminine qualities of, you know, patience and compassion, or things that might be considered feminine. I'm not saying that, I'm saying that not in a say, oh, women have these qualities and men have these qualities. I mean, within all of us that we have masculine and feminine. Yeah. And, um, and that's part of my learning to also appreciate women, is to appreciate the um, feminine qualities in myself. And that's a journey I'm still on. But, but that also, that feeling of community is something that comes much more easily i think to women than to men mm, yeah i agree there we go. that'll piss a few people <laughs> no i think that's true i i think that's true and um, and just going back to what you were saying about exploring those those qualities within yourself I, I i kind of see that a lot in the book there's a couple of poems there where you know um the the one about the dress the, mm. yeah i really like that poem because i feel like it addresses uh, addresses. <laughs> I had to work really hard not to put that pun in there. I only have a little pun at the beginning about it being called redress, but you know. No, I think it's. I I really like that poem because I think it it deals with a lot of issues that women have, not only about just going outside and shopping. <laughs> um, but the way in which uh, consumerism and capitalism addresses women. Um. Um, you know the the power dynamics of the the shop assistant and and yourself in that poem I thought were pretty spot on. Yeah. I I buy all my clothes online because I'm too anxious to go into a shop and be confronted with salespeople a lot of the time. Um, and also, you know, I I'm not sure if that's what you were trying to get out with the poem, but being comfortable in your own skin. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, so it, it doesn't matter, you know, how old you are, as long as you you find a way to be comfortable and I think you know what I got from reading the book is that you you know no one's perfect you never really get there you just there's just these moments where you feel like you you've got you know a little bit more there but the vulnerability of the whole thing is is great and I really enjoyed reading it I thought it was really nice um exploration of yourself you know fuck ups and all I loved it (laughs) (laughs) well that's what I I I think is it's my mission when I'm performing as well is to just kind of say, look, you know, I messed up like this and mm. it's okay. Do you know we're all doing it? And we've all, well, certainly I, I will speak for myself and people like some people I know, but you know, this self image of needing to be so much more than we actually are. Mm. Um, you know, I fall, I know this, I know this stuff, and I, but I fall for it time and again. And that the, the dresses piece has the two dresses. It's called. It, it has quite um has quite a few layers of that. Exactly what you said about um, 
sort of marketing dynamics, but there's also this how you know we can get lulled by the language mm. of you know that the advert that always gets to me is the L'Oreal one when they say, turn and they say you're worth it. <laughs> you know, it's that phrase, oh you're worth it. You're worth spending all this money on. Not if you haven't got it. <laughs> you're actually worth saving the money then. Yeah. You know, I, uh, and and uh, you know being a poet you know inconsistent income you have i've had to have a whole different relationship with money since i haven't been you know fully employed mm. all the time because you know because it's it, it comes in these fits and spurts and so it's no good i can't just go oh yeah i'm worth it i can spend what i like up to that point you know because i know i earn x a month because some months i earn very little and then there'll be some big splurge of money like yay it's all good but um um yeah that 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 um poem is also trying to look at you know self-worth being also sort of the containment of looking after yourself and mm. looking after what you have yeah um and just being a bit more of a grown-up as well <laughs> <laughs> putting putting the dress down no put no down, put it down put one of them down you came out with money for i i read that poem actually and this was a rowdy exercise which um to get more awareness around money and the challenge was for a week was to buy everything with cash. You had to, instead of using a card, that's why there's a whole thing about credit card in it, instead of using a card where you can go really unconscious, when you use cash and you've actually got to feel your wallet getting thinner mm. and hand it over, we've come, because we don't use cash as much as we used to, we've lost that relationship with money. And when you go, oh, I've earned that money, you know, like come in my pet and now it's going it really is going and it complete and that's why i was kind of in this heightened state of awareness of like no you are not you're not going to kid me that this is uh you know this is actually nice if i buy two dresses instead of one so it was, yeah it was quite um it was a real kind of awakening moment in a dress shop people you have to read the poem yeah <laughs> This conversation will make a lot more sense. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so it was the two dresses. That's what it's called, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which section of the book is it in? Um, uh, <laughs> that is in uh, actually a lot of it's called today. Um, oh yes. Yeah. In section. Mm. Um, which because that's kind of about coming present with what is. Mm. Yeah. I was going to get mystical about it. So. I described you on our blog post the other day as a performing veteran. Well, I'm nearly 50, so you're right. <laughs> I was going I was going with, you know, you've been, been performing a long time, you've been on the circuit for a long time, you're an established poet who has done lots of shows, um, which I think is really admirable because I'm still going, how much a show? I don't know, blah, blah, and, you know... Um, so I kind of wanted to talk about your motivation for doing shows and, and where that comes from. Because I, I've spoken to a few people about this, this idea that shows um, invite you to focus on a theme, you know, elaborate more on a theme and explore it more because you've got, you know, like an hour or however long to do it. Um, but I just wanted to know what your motivation was for, for, for doing a show and then taking it to like the fringe or out on the road. Mm. Um, insanity. Might be the first one. <laughs> <laughs> how, to, how to spend five years getting really stressed. Uh, no. I, I think what happened was in um, 2011, I went up to the fridge just for a couple of days to kind of get my head around it because I never understood Edinburgh Fringe when people tried to explain it to me. Mm. And I went up and I stayed with a friend of mine, Lucy Ayrton, 
another poet, and because uh, she was producing a couple of shows for people. And I went and saw what could be done next, basically. Because at that point, I was used to, you know, I'd been sort of Oxford Hammer and Tongue Slam champion, and I was easily doing 20, 25 minute sets. And then it's like, well, what's next? How, you know, where, where do we progress? And I went, so I went to Edinburgh, I watched a bunch of shows. I saw some that was like, oh, that's interesting. I saw some that were just extended sets, because that's very much, at that time, people were kind of getting away with that is a, is a wrong, is a, it sounds more derogatory than it is, but it was, it was just like going to see a band and they played their way all the way through the album. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> with, with some, with some sort of, you know, some links. Um, and then the show that really changed me was I saw Richard Marsh, Oh, yeah, who did Dirty Great Love Story with Katie Bonner. He did, and it was a show before that, which was all... <laughs> it wasn't that smarties. can't even remember the suite. Uh, oh, why can't I remember the name of that flipping show? It made such an impression on me. Anyway, I saw Richard Marsh's show. Let's just keep it there. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and, I, and I went... <gasps> That's what you can do. Because the whole thing was in blank verse. Yeah. But it's also a theatre show. So he brought in that level of performance into what he was doing. I mean, I think he's an amazing writer and actor and, 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 and you know, and poet. And I got really excited by that. And then Lucy and I dared each other to bring a show the following year. Okay. And that was pretty much it. I was kind of like that on that Edinburgh. <gasps> I've had no sleep. I've seen like twenty shows a day, and and yes, I want to do this. But I also thought it was possible. That's the other thing because anything that has a sort of mystique around it, and you haven't seen it, you know, in your in your imagination, or in my imagination, can make it much more difficult, bigger. But going to the fringe, you know, so you're seeing some people in really big venues, and of course on the free fringe, or even on the fringe itself, you're seeing some venues where people like twenty, thirty people. Um, that's all you can get. Yeah. Not, you know, of course, you, you go to shows and there are only four people in the audience, there's that. So um, so that's what inspired me. And then Lucy and I basically um, mentored each other through writing our shows. So, and then and then next year we went up and we, she, I, I just, I just said like, right, I'm going to do five days. Like, <laughs> you know, if it's all horrible, then I can run away. And then, <laughs> you know, like at least say I've done it. And, that's <coughs> it. Um, and then I had a tiny venue, which... It was a 20-seater people. And actually, that was um, a real relief because, you know, for flyering, I was like, okay, I only have to find 10 people. <laughs> I look full. Yeah. I look full enough. Um, so I was I was lucky. I got sort of... Mm. That's the way that kind of... It. And then I just fell in love with the whole process of creating something that's not just poetry but also theatre and, uh, and, you know, bringing music and props and stuff like that. Because I love poetry. I love poetry. But, you know, after 45 minutes of poetry, I can be wanting to chew my own foot off rather than listen to another poem. Yeah. If it's not done really super well. Yeah. So it need, And part of that is, is not because people are rubbish. I'm not saying that. But the intensity of listening to a poem, like the sort of assault on the senses, if you like, mm. You know, you hear one good line, another good line, another good line, and your brain is going, well, hang on, what about, you know, I'm, I'm still three lines behind thinking about that. Mm. And so it's that art of creating, having a poem, but then creating the space in between the poems 
with a little bit of music or a bit of chat, which just gives the audience time to go <sighs> and mm. let that settle, and then we're on to the next one. Yeah. So I love, I really love that challenge. And as you say, taking a subject, a theme. My last show is called Till Debts Do Part, and I'm still doing a few of those this year. And so I was exploring money. And just that kind of um, joy of going deeper and deeper into what is my relationship with money? How is it running my life everywhere? Oh, my God. What do that behavior? That's, that's disgusting and childish. <laughs> what can I do about it? You know, oh, am I going to say that on stage? Yes, I probably am. <laughs> because if I do it, other, money's a really emotive one as well. That was the best subject. I mean, completely by chance that I picked it, but... That was the best one because it basically appealed to both men and women. And it's like a sort of secret fear. Yeah. It's very easy to look like you're doing okay because we can get into so much debt. Yeah. Like you, if, you, if you are having eating issues, we show that on our body. Mm. If you're getting too thin or you're carrying, you know, a lot of weight that is unhealthy for you. Like everyone can see that. Nobody sees your bank account. So you can drive around in a really flash car and be like hundreds of thousands of pounds in debt. Yeah. And, and carrying that big mask. Mm. So I think that's why it doesn't get talked about so much because we're all, we're all huge generalization. No people, you're probably much more evolved than me and you're not doing this. But, um, you know, it, it's, a, it's a painful secret. And it's because, oh, and I will shut up in a moment, I promise. But with money... It really um, goes to the core of us because it's about survival. Yeah. Because because we're not having to go out and hunt for food and water and shelter, basically. Most, you know, most of us lucky ones in the Western world yeah. don't have to do that. We've, um, but money provides that for us. So when we're in debt, it feels like our very survival is under threat. Mm. That's why I think debt is so incredibly stressful. I agree. Yeah. We've seen that sort of primeval response of like. I'm going to get eaten or I'm, you know, I'm going to starve, Yeah, which is true, but it feels true. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's definitely something to, um, to talk about. I think it's really important to have kind of conversations about money. Um, you know, just to take it slightly off course, you know, I have this, I come from, uh, you know, a white working class family and I hear people talking about, uh, you know, um, poor working class, like, well, they're all on benefits, but how come they've got this big flash, you know, TV or, or you know, Aldi car or whatever? And it's, it's exactly what you say. You know, you, you don't know what people's bank accounts look like. You don't know how cripping, crippingly in debt they are. And it's so easy to get a credit card. My bank keeps trying to give them to me and I keep saying, no, I don't want one. I'm fine. I know. You know, we, we are... We are encouraged to go into debt because debt holds the economy up. Yeah. The yeah. whole thing, even a banknote, you know, says, I promise to pay the bearer mm. on demand £10. It isn't £10. We all, we all play that game that we think this piece of paper means something, but it's not. It, I, in the show, I, track, I, I do this a little bit with a mad professor, and he tracks right back to, look, this is how money started. It was just somebody saying... I, I owe you something for later. That's mm. it. That's it. We've just agreed to play this game and say this piece of paper is worth something. And, and um, yeah, that the, the sort of psychological implications of how in debt, how easy it is to get in debt. Because I got in debt. And you know what? I kind of, if I'm going to shit on myself, should I? I come from 
a well-off a well-off background i know how to make money i don't have physical or mental in you know health issues that would that obviously make it more difficult yeah i just fucked up i fucked <clears throat> up several times and i was a sort of yo-yo debtor so i could get myself because i you know i got a good skill i could work and get myself out of debt but then I would fall back down and I had to look at all the reasons why I was spending money I didn't have. You know, yeah. what point were I saying? Was I saying, um, you know, was I miserable and I was spending money to cover that up? Mm. Or I was telling myself there wasn't any other option here. Um, yeah. Because if you got a credit card, I mean, <laughs> how often? How often is that? I just put it on the credit card. Like, you're still going to have... It's like this much more evolved, sorted version of you is going to turn up in a couple of months <laughs> time and earn the money yeah. that will pay for it. And then what happens is a couple of months later, it's like, oh, it's still me. I'm still the messed up me. And now I've got this big bill to pay. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I'm very, it's, it still means a lot to me, which means the show is still rocking <laughs> yeah no i think that's a really uh a brave subject to tackle for a show um you know because money affects everyone um mm. and to to put your you know financial vulnerabilities out there for everyone to hear um i think that's that's really great that's the one that you've put on a cd that show is that the... no uh it's not on a cd i have um <laughs> i have evie and the perfect cupcake Oh right, that's the one. Yeah, that's the one I was thinking of. Title, a shit title for e- uh, a show about eating, um, <laughs> and body image, and but also, yeah, again, a sort of uh, a painful relationship with food, and I, I set it in because I was sort of bored of a lot of pieces. I mean, worthwhile saying, but oh, look how society presses on us. I put it in an alternative universe where you were paid in calories. Oh, okay, right, yeah. <laughs> And and that um, if you stayed within a certain parameters of weight, you'd be rewarded. But mm. if you got the weight, then then uh, the powers that be um, took away your calories until you got yourself back down to an acceptable weight. So I kind of looked at that whole kind of prison of eating and food and being offered simultaneously more and more rich, beautiful food. Mm. Um, and that was sexy, and yeah, oh, indulge yourself. You're worth it. You're worth that new cake. Yeah, yes, of course. In moderation. I mean, I love cake. This is, you know, this is a very emotive subject for me. But in in moderation, that's great. But then, if you're feeling bad about yourself, then reaching for something that's going to you're trying to make yourself feel better. Mm. I, that's what I did. I mean, other people may eat for other reasons, or if uncomfortable emotions are coming up, and it's just easier to go, I feel shit. I'll have a bar of chocolate. Yeah. So, and and but it's such um isolating. I found it so isolating and paralyzing to be in that situation. So I wrote a I wrote a silly show about it. And yeah. it wasn't it was funny in places, but it just has now I know possibly not the best title in the world. Yeah. Because I improved at titles. <laughs> improved titles indeed. Yeah. No. I know. Because um, I I I like the idea that you put it on a CD. Was that a live recording that you did? Um, actually, we <laughs> we tried that, but uh, never got a good enough one. So I sat in a cupboard in our flat. My husband recorded it. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I know. I was like, and today in the recording studio, and he, and he said the only way we're going to get it quiet enough is if you are facing to a cupboard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, just stick 
gesticulating like there was an audience in front of me <laughs> looking at this dark wall. Oh, so yeah. glamorous. Yeah. I, I have to say, I've recorded some some EPs and things in my bathroom yeah. with like Good. towels and things, and yeah. you know, just to dampen the sound a little bit. You know, I've, the amount of times I've sat in my bath with my laptop and a and a microphone, just recording the same thing over and over again. I mean, anyone that's listening out there, recording is a glamorous life. You know, <laughs> DIY, do it yourself, and you have a complete blast doing it and then you get to tell people years later that you yeah you recorded it in the cupboard you're like yeah just just did that in the cupboard you know yeah yeah well it's amazing you then start to realize how much ambient noise is going on because i live in the country or that house you know that flat was on a farm and we're like ah that'll be fine oh you can hear the motorway Mm. and quietly dad's like oh shit yeah rubbish insulation so everything came through um but um yeah yeah, yeah, but I, but that's part of the process also of making shows and stuff. You know, when you said about the process of creating this collection and me saying, well, I just basically made it up as I'm going along. Totally. That's what I'm, I do with everything. And I'm lucky that my husband has, you know, he's been in a band, so he understands a bit about sound. Mm. And we just went, oh, well, we've got, we've got a mic shield and let's just, let's just try and see what happens. And if it's awful, because... Because uh, and then we just had this like local company who who printed it onto the CDs and we made a really nice cover and you know it was it, it the presentation was really good but we literally made it in a cupboard yeah that is it, the whole thing because his office was the other half of this cupboard <laughs> and that's it that's it and I I love the freedom that comes out of like I can make a piece of art uh, you know it's great it's brilliant it feels. You know, my ego is so polished by having a proper publisher now. But just to say, um, you know, even if you haven't, you can still make something. Yeah. Just want to get your creative ingenuity around it. Mm. And and super, because it just sparks, yeah, it just sparks that creative process in you. I've woken up now. This is really good. Yeah. <laughs> the podcast now. Good morning, <laughs> Tina. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am. Um... I I was kind of looking at the CD on your on your website this morning and kind of going oh that's a really good idea to to record the show because we've um because Burning Eye this is a bit of a plug now but Burning Eye have a a kind of imprint called BX3 which um we which is more of a, like a a self publishing service but has some of the professional aspects of of being actually published um and you know we, so we've done like a few people's collections and things like that um but we one of the ones that we did recently was um Cecilia Knapp's show Finding Home we put the um the text in a book for her so that she could sell it you know while she was you know at the end of the show or whatever um um and we're we're kind of encouraging more of more poets to to you know if they want to to do that to as as a way to kind of make some extra extra pennies from that show and I think finding, you know, digital platforms and, and books and things um, to to get that work out there for people that can't come to the show or, or whatever it is, or just to have like a a keepsake of it or anything. I think that's a really, I think it's a really good idea because it, it keeps the show alive, I guess, later when yeah. you've, long after you've stopped doing it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's a funny thing. People... Because I had that CD, I didn't make a CD for the second shoot, The Good Delusion. Um, I actually, we filmed that and we've got it on YouTube and I 
because I did a, a Kickstarter. Mm. I had people gave me some money, so it's on like a private link, and we kind of thought we might make a DVD, and then we're like, ah, that show's over. I've done, I've done it for two years. It's over. There's, mm. there's no point now, because um, you've always got that problem, mm. <laughs> like moving on to the next thing, and who's going to want the old stuff? But there's definitely sort of two camps of whether people want a recording or they want to read it. Yeah. It does seem to me that more people want to, even though they love the live show, when they come in, they go like, oh, yeah, I really love the show. Can you have the book? <laughs> Quite a few times, um, which is kind of one of the reasons I didn't make another seat. I thought, I thought about it, and mm. I didn't. Um, but having said that, there was a definite portion who were like, oh, I never read. Thank you so much for putting it on a CD. So, Yeah, and I, I think it's great. I mean, you know, the rise of uh, digital radio, like podcasts, um, yeah. You know, I love podcasts. I listen to them before I go to bed or, or whatever. You know, there's there's some really great, great produced ones now, you know. Probably still in the cupboard, but they have, like, sound effects or whatever. You know, it's pretty good. Um, you know, and um, and I love that because I, I'm someone, I, I'm someone who I enjoy reading, but the only time I ever get reading done is when I'm in transit. So when I'm travelling somewhere, um, you know, I rarely read at home because I'm always, like, I've got other things that I need to do instead of reading and and kind of having like an audiobook or a podcast on in the background is a great way for me to absorb something um while still you know busying myself with the day um or anything and you know there's um the the nymphs and fugs um label them that abbott is doing you know selena's livewire is doing so well you know she was nominated for the the ted hughes award with that cd and you know, I think it works for some people, you know, Mark Rist's Dead Poet Society um, CD, that was an, another good one. And I think, yeah, you know, I think poetry either reaches people through them reading it or from them hearing it. Um, and and I think there are some performers, because I just saw Selena on Saturday night oh, yeah. and perform at uh, Chippy Norton Literary Festival and, um, and she's doing pieces from Livewire. And she is... There is so much in her performance mm. that almost, gosh, I'm not doing her disservice, but, you know, reading on the page is a very different experience than seeing Selena live. Yeah. Um, so I can, yeah, depending on what sort of performer it is, the, the, the recorded version is going to be, you know, more popular, I think, in some circumstances. So. Yeah. And, it, you know, Clive said that he listened to it and almost crashed the car because he was laughing so much at like, yeah. some of the pieces in it. Um, so uh, if you get the CD, anyone listening, you know, don't drive. Don't yeah. drive and listen to Selena. OK. Oh, safety here. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just just think about your safety. But always wear a seatbelt yeah. when listening to Selena Godden. <laughs> I think that's a good rule. Yeah. I think so too. Yeah, I re- you know I really love what you know Nymphs and Fugs are doing, and I think it's it's uh yeah I, you know I I get what you're saying that it can be a hit and miss. Like some people don't transfer well into to CD and things, but you know you know if you're a performer, if you have that high energy like Selena, then then I I guess that that really works for you. Um, I'm just going to go on now to talk to you um a little bit about what the Oxford poetry scene is like. Um, because I talked very briefly, like Pete very briefly mentioned Oxford to me um, in our last interview that we did, um, all high praise, uh, but I don't really know that much about the Oxford scene, so can you tell me and our listeners kind of a bit about what goes on there? 
Absolutely. Well, Oxford was the birthplace of Hammer and Tum. Mm-hmm. Um, Steve Larkin's uh, Slam Night, which is now in, well, it's been running for well, been running 14 years in, in Oxford and it's in London and Brighton and Bristol mm. and Cambridge. And uh, I've probably forgotten the other one. <laughs> Southampton. No, I remember. Oh, yeah, I should know that. I'm from Southampton. Yeah, yeah, yeah there you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. God, yeah. God forgive it. Um, so that has, I would say, that's the stalwart of the spoken word scene mm. in Oxford. And uh, I've been hosting it, I had a little break in the middle, but I've been hosting it since 2011. And at the moment, I host it together with my husband. And um, that is a, I'm really proud of that as a slam night because uh, it's a night which, um, attracts people from age 18 up into their 70s yeah we've managed maybe it's because i'm a little bit older uh but we've managed to attract people who who will can actually bring their kids with all their their teenagers oh nice and also slam so mm. unlike my sort of limited experience with the london scene but does seem to be very youth oriented mm. uh and i mean i i mean okay i'm what am i I'm 49 this year, but I feel like an old fogey a lot of the time, you know, uh, when I when I perform in London. He's going to get this stuff. I'm talking about, you know, oh, having sex with your socks on and how disappointing that is. That one wasn't, that's one of my personal pleasures, which was not allowed in, just wasn't going to. I, I love and, that. And, and, I'm <laughs> at, and I'm looking at the audience going, no. You have no, you have not reached this level of disappointment when a man thinks that he can keep his socks on and that's sexy. Oh, no, I have. I have, okay. I'm 29. I'm 29 and I've experienced this. Slightly off the point of the Oxford. Not just sexy, where we all keep our socks on, apparently. Uh, the Oxford poetry scene. Really good. We get, we get 50, 60 people there every yeah. month. It's a really, really great That's time. great, yeah. Yeah, we have because Oxford is not big, it's big in reputation, but actually not big in people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we do have a bit of that university, non-university split, which goes on not just through poetry, through everything in Oxford. Yeah. In that a lot of the time, a lot of the students will just stay, you know, they have everything they need within their the confines of what they're doing. So they don't, you know, when we get sort of 10 students along, we're like, marketing really worked this time. <laughs> <laughs> Say there's only about seven or eight people who are 
operating above the kind of um, I'll just do a set yeah. level. Mm-hmm. And we have a lot of people, our slams are always absolutely booked out. We usually, you know, we usually say we're going to have eight, we end up with 10 or 11. <laughs> Which is great, but I would love, I would love something that, and, and that's quite difficult for poets, is to know how do you make that step from yeah. three to 10 or 20 minutes? Because that's a whole life skill, just life skill. No, it's a poetry skill, let's be realistic here. Um, just like that step from a 20 minute set to the hour long show mm. is quite deep. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of, yeah, we've got, I'm trying to think of some of the names there. We've got the Furry Mike, we've got uh, Sparky's Flying Circus. Um, so those are small nights, but they tend to all be, uh, George's Jamboree, but they tend to be open mic nights and that's it. Okay. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. So do you find that when, because, you know, within Hammer and Tongue you have the, um, uh, you know, you take a team with you to, to the Royal Albert Hall. Um, do you find that there's a good sense of community there with, with that? Because I know in Bristol, you know, it's it's Tommy and, and now Hannah that's doing it there. Um, and... Yeah, you're right, it is quite a lot of young people, but they all seem to be, you know, quite close. It's like a little family, yeah. um, you know, and, you know, every year they take, you know, one or two of the same people with them. Um, but the, always the family's kind of changing and growing, and I'm starting to sound a bit like a mob film here. <laughs> yeah. No, it's totally, it's totally a mafia, mafia poetry. That's what we do. Yeah, I, we have, a, we have a, a very lovely family. I mean, we have, um, because... Uh, Myself and my husband Neil uh, host. Steve still comes to pretty much every gig. We've got uh, Lucyette and William um, James Webster. That's given a different name there. That was good. Dan Holloway, uh, Tony Beecow. We've got people who've been slamming for years and years, mm. and also do you know things outside it. Yeah. And um, and, and it is it is. We try and make it a really inclusive, lovely thing. What I think uh, for people to come to, so that hi, hello, I'm I'm the husband. He's the husband. Oh, we've we've got a that was our surprise guest, Neil Spokes. There, yes, he's he's gone away again now, but um, now, yes, that's that was all he's going to do. That was he lovely. To, I'm gonna just, keep I'm gonna keep that in. I'm gonna keep that bit in. <laughs> <laughs> just wanted to be acknowledged. <laughs> uh, but what we what we try to do very hard because it's easy when you've got that lovely family feeling that you suddenly turn the the gig into something cheeky mm, and yeah. new people who come along feel like oh they all know each other so we, we work quite hard to make sure we welcome everyone in and it's not too many kind of in jokes or just mm. you know play like the same people winning the slams <laughs> not, not that you can really influence that but yeah um, do, you, do you know what i mean i, I I'm, I'm very conscious of that yeah um, um so i've i've had uh, conversations on previous podcasts about slams um, and about how, for some people, they're quite, quite controversial um, in terms of, you know, people not liking being scored or they seem unfair. or um, And I just kind of wanted to know what your stance on slams were, really. And, you know, if you could convince someone that, that had never slammed and wasn't that keen on it to slam, what would you say to them? I'd say it's totally unfair. It's totally random. It is. It's done on the vagaries of whether people, you know, a gut reaction... That is it. Accept mm. it. Accept it, you know. And isn't life just a bit like that too? Mm, yeah. If this is not this is not like an unusual situation. We that that uh, 
people are going to respond to you from their gut, but I encourage people to come and slam for the following reasons. <laughs> because it only is only controversial when you start to take it too seriously. Mm-hmm. And it is that weird paradox where actually if you win a good quality slam or a well-known slam, um, that's great because it's something you can put on your CV and it can really make like a difference to the gigs you get. But on the other hand, who the fuck ever chose poetry as a career? <laughs> Come on. Come on, people. We're not, <laughs> yeah. we're not doctors and nurses in here. No. Like, calm down. Stop taking yourself so seriously. So I, I encourage people to come and slam because you learn to go on stage, own the stage for three minutes, get off the stage before you're too boring. Like that is your window to make an impression. Mm-hmm. And learning, for me, learning that as a skill was really, really important. Like I'm on, I do it, I'm off. Because that's the way you will win a slam is, is, is you know, not always from the quality of your poem, but come on, let's also look at poetry. The people, people who are performing at the top, um, at, at a high level, you're going to like some of those people. You're going to think some of them are rubbish. <laughs> it's the same thing. Mm. Uh, I think the other thing is because it's a bit of a dare, it's like, go on, push yourself out there and do something that's really scary. I mean, I, after my first slam, I think I was like sweating and shaking for about 10 or 15 minutes. Yeah. After, you know, <gasps> the adrenaline and oh my God, but it felt so good to have dared myself to do that. Mm. And that's where I think it's important as a, I mean, let's face it, a slam is just a controlled open mic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it works really well for us promoters because it gets us to get, we can get people in on that gimmick. So you've got audience, you've got a little bit of pressure it's going to make you a better poet. Mm. It is going to make you a better poet. But you have to take winning <clears throat> out of the equation. Like the, winning is only important when you win. Otherwise, it's not. It's go on, do your job, and yeah. come off. And see what reaction did the audience have off that. Like You start to learn to judge energy, judge you know, how you're connecting in those three minutes. Yeah. No, it's totally imperfect. It's totally random. It is unfair. Some... Sometimes the wrong person wins. I don't know. Do I want to call it that? Not really. Sometimes your faith doesn't win. Yeah. Welcome welcome to your life. Mm-hmm. Welcome That's to That's your next book title, Tina. Yeah, welcome to <laughs> <laughs> I think, oh gosh, I might have to get a few more degrees or something to say that. <laughs> but as a performer, to know that sometimes to learn to cope with those yucky feelings that sometimes you'll go on stage and people will not get you. Mm, yeah. They won't. Yeah. They're not your tribe. It wasn't your day or you were off. Mm, yeah. And, and just learning in that microcosm to cope with all of those things. Yeah. It's, it's a good life skill. Never mind poetry. So that's why I'm, you know, pro sounds. Okay. Yeah. No, that's good. That's not, I like a, I like to have a, you know, a pro slammer on, on the thing. That, that's pretty good. I like it a lot. Um, so um, I now's the point of the show where I'm going to be like, Tina, would you like to read uh, a poem from your new collection? Of course I would. Which one would you like? I'm going to have to say two dresses, I think. You want to have two dresses? Yeah, because we were kind of talking about it earlier and, and now I kind of want to hear it. So, because this one has a lot of actions, I'm going to do it without, and I should know it. I mean, I've only performed it about, I don't know, 250 times. So let's see if it's in the brain. But I haven't done it for a few, a couple of months. So we'll see if it's in the brain box. I might have to do takes. Okay, no worries. So 
all the actions as well. Yes, do them. I can see you on the microphone, on the cam. So, yeah, you know. Okay, I'm in the shop. Okay, here we go. Hot lights in the changing room. Dresses. Oh. One red, one green. Both can't I merge the assistant oohs and ahs. She's cast herself as a friend I should have brought with me. You know, your curves are the perfect curves for these styles. I arch an eyebrow. But I suspect she's right. You know, you should buy both. I shrug. My bank balance would disagree with that. She flicks her hair back. Personally, I'd rather eat less than miss out on something beautiful. I nod and smile. Like this is a rational argument. I don't mean to be rude, but I doubt she's ever made the choice between a dress and food. I want to talk about the benefits of decent nutrition, but she's turned to her friend. I fancy a coffee. Lend me a fiver. I retire to the changing room. Make sure you listen to the voice that says go for it. I flinch, cinch my shoulders up to my ears because I can hear myself considering it. I prefer the green. I say, the red is the last in the shop. My gut twists. Suddenly I imagine there's a dress famine and I will never find another that fits me this well. You could give up cake. My hands shake as I hold both dresses up. Red or green, red or green, red and green. I caress the wrinkled edges of the notes in my purse. Fingers creep towards plastic, the newly sober reaching for a first sip. You do have a credit card, don't you? My hand snaps back, hangs the red dress up. The corners of her mouth curl down. You listen to the wrong voice. You'll be back in ten minutes. I nod and smile, think, thank God my parking ticket runs out in ten minutes. Then I'll drive home and have dinner in a dress that is completely mine. After all, I can only ever wear one dress at a time. Yeah! <laughs> you're, you're off on tour? You're doing the Hammer and Tongue tour thing? Uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> I know I haven't been chosen as a headline artist. <gasps> uh, I all the support slots I can. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yes. June. Woo. And yes, and then I am doing a full length 
version show of the book, which I have written for Offbeat Festival in Oxford on the 27th of June. Great. So, yeah, yeah, that's really... Uh, I, at some point, whether or not it's in the podcast, I said these questions, who are you, what are you doing here? And I keep investigating that question through these poems because I realised that was another of the themes of this of this book was um, sort of identity and and really what the hell are we doing on this planet? Thought <laughs> I'd answer that question in in a longer term, nice, a longer way. That sounds great. Mm. Yeah, busy then, busy for the next yeah. few months. That's good. Yeah, I'm I'm open to more gigs, people. I yes. Should be around the south of England at the moment. <laughs> That's great. And where, where can people where can people find you on, on the internet? On the internet, um, website, tinasetterhome.com. Twitter, I'm Tina underscore Setterhome because somebody, unbelievably, somebody else has the name Tina Setterhome. <gasps> I know! In America, but they just have a blog for a head and they've only tweeted seven times and not since 2013. I love that you have stalked this other Tina Sedholm. I found her, I found her on Facebook as well. She's born again Christian who works at Microsoft. Wow. With, with Tina, if you're listening to this, I think you should yeah. give your Twitter account over to yes. our Tina. Give me Tina Sedholm instead of Tina underscore Sedholm because you will be getting a lot of random tweets, my friend, that mm. you won't want. Yeah. So. I mean, she probably already has, to be honest. I'm just saying, love. You know, you don't love Twitter. So, yeah, that's where you can find me. Cool. Great. Okay. Well, I'm going to round up this podcast um, uh, and just say uh, thanks for coming on and having a chat with me this morning. It's been a pleasure. It has been lovely for me too. An absolute delight. So, Good. thank you for asking me and letting me burble on a lot. <laughs>